think it's really cool because sometimes sometimes you really get those patients who come in and they're like I really want to know what I can do to change this and and it's it's really kind of rewarding knowing that you can help them in that way like they'll, they'll go home and like you know let's say they come back to the hospital for another thing and like you just see that they're better with this one aspect that you might have helped them with or like they're more aware of the foods that they should be you know avoiding or or eating more of so I think that's really cool. Welcome to the What the Heck Do You Do Career Podcast, an inspiring look into the everyday jobs of everyday people. Welcome everyone to another episode of What the Heck Do You Do? And today we have dietitian Ronnie Saad, who works at Mount Sinai. And I'm so excited for her to be on because she is going to break the stereotype of what a dietitian or a nutritionist really does. I think a lot of people think when they hear the word nutritionist, that it's just somebody that helps with weight loss. But Ronnie does so much more than that. And I would argue that what she does is way cooler than just working with people on their weight loss. And I'm so excited for her to tell you what it is that she does. So tell us, Ronnie, what the heck do you do? Hi, um, thanks for having me. Basically, I'm a clinical dietitian, so I work at a hospital um, with inpatient acute care. Um, essentially, anytime there's a patient that comes to the hospital and comes to the floor that I work on, um, I'll go see them uh, based on severity, and I'll work with them specifically you know, to their diseases and trying to figure out their, their medical nutrition therapy, um, different, giving them different education that can maybe help them with specific diseases, and also, um, you know, find out different ways that they can be uh, fed if they can't eat like through their mouth. Um, so that's one thing. And then also um, making sure that we're like preventing malnutrition or preventing malnutrition from happening further. Mm-hmm. Right. So because you work in a hospital, you're working with people that have some sort of disease or can't get the nourishment that they need. And you have to figure out how to get them the nutrients that they need either f- through food or through other measures. Yeah. So what does that look like on the day to day? What are you doing minute to minute? So basically in the morning, I, I print out my sheets. I screen for the patients that are high risk. Um, and then, you know, also the patients who I haven't seen in a few days. Um, and then once I, once I do that, I'll start charting on those patients, gathering all the information that I need, um, making sure that, you know, I'm not missing any specific detail that could be important to the specific patient. And then um, after a few hours of that, I'll go see my patients. Um, basically, you know, each, each interview can range from like, you know, five minutes to 20 minutes. Generally, we like to keep it at 10. So, you know, we have a lot of patients during the day. We want to make sure we're giving everyone a good amount of time. Um, and then after that, I kind of just, you know, go back to the office. I chart on different things, speak to different doctors, trying to figure out um, or other people within the medical team and try to figure out the correct nutrition care plan for them um, and, you know, make sure it's relayed properly to the rest of the team. And, you know, some other days, instead of, you know, charting all day in, in the morning, we kind of just like, um, we'll go around with the team, you know, f- make sure we're all up to date with everything. That way you're gathering information instead of just sitting and like looking through the chart at the same time. Right. So in the beginning of the day, when you say like you're charting, you're literally going through all the patient's records before you even meet them, before you even speak to them to get a picture of what their medical history is like and what their needs are. Yeah, Exactly. So, wow. so you're basically studying every single patient before you even met them. Yeah. So there's like a lot that goes into an assessment. Um, 
there's like, you know, different parts of a nutrition note and a nutrition, entire nutrition assessment. So the beginning part is basically gathering all the information, like, you know, their medical history, um, their weight history. And like, when you go talk to them, you get their diet history. So there's like a lot of different things. Cause you want to make sure that, you know, if there's something significant that happened in their lifetime or a significant, you know, disease that they're dealing with at the time or a surgery that they had, um, that really, really changed their lives. Meaning like if they got their bowel taken out, you know, like you, you need to like know what to do with that and how to, how to incorporate a better nutrition care plan for that specific patient. So everyone's very individualized. So you want to make sure you get the whole picture before you just go into like a random person, just asking their entire medical history. It doesn't really help as much if we do that. Mm-hmm. So can you maybe tell us something that a client was going through and how you helped them? Um, yeah, like an example of the hospital. Like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. So, I don't know, like, there's always, you know, it ranges. There's the general, you know, you come, you have someone that comes in with kidney disease and diabetes, and um, that could be their main problem. And so, what I would, what I would do for them is try to figure out a plan that, you know, works for, like, a nutrition plan that works for them. Um, Sometimes it gets difficult because like someone who has kidney disease and also diabetes, the nutrition recommendations kind of conflict each other. So um, that's something that I find that's really, you know, it's, it's difficult to work with that patient and try to figure out like what's their specific, you know, plan. We don't do meal plans in the hospital. So it's more just like, you know, answering their questions, educating them on like the right kinds of foods that they should be eating for those specific diseases Um, and also like, you know, keeping in mind that like some people come from very different places. So, you know, sometimes you get a homeless person and they come in with diabetes and it's uncontrolled. So you have to think about, you know, you're telling them don't eat this and eat this instead. But in reality, like, do they have access to all of these foods? You have to try to make sure that you're giving them the correct kind of, you know, availability, like a plan with that, that works with their availability, you know, and making sure that they are able to really make a change in their lifestyle. Cause two interesting things that you said there first is that you can have two diseases that conflict with each other. And that makes it really hard in general to be able to have a meal plan, even if you had all the education in the world and all the resources in the world. But then in addition to that, you might have, you know, okay, you should be eating a lot of vegetables, but that person can't afford vegetables or they don't live near a supermarket that has fresh fruit. So yeah. it's a lot of barriers that you guys are trying to overcome sounds like. yeah it's a lot of like patient-centered care and just trying to make sure you're listening to the whole picture and and taking every single aspect that you can and making sure that the plan is right for them um so like even with it's funny that you say like you know sometimes things are conflicting and it's difficult and and you know um there are always different ways that we can make sure that someone who's you know not as um doesn't have things as easily accessible, like can get their needs. We can work with social workers to find those things, but also there are some diseases that work together that we can try to make sure um, um, that their nutrition plan kind of works in that in that favor also. So it's good sometimes. Mm-hmm. So what's the most interesting case you've ever worked on? Most interesting? Um, I thought, I mean, this is like medically interesting. And I have another one that I guess could be nutritionally interesting, but basically there was one that I used to work on adult oncology, essentially, and they did a lot of- So adult cancer patients. Yeah, yes. And they did a lot of um, transplants there, you know, bone marrow transplants, stem cell transplants, things like that. And um, there's like, you know, nutrition education for that, where we're talking about food safety. And a lot of that's about like, you know, making sure you don't get sick 
after you get a transplant that makes you very immunocompromised. Um, so, you know, very easily, like it's easy for you to get a disease that way, an illness, I guess. Um, and then essentially I had this patient come in with Crohn's disease, but who didn't have cancer, but also got a stem cell transplant to help with the Crohn's disease. And they've been finding that like, it's been making a really big difference for, for this Crohn's disease patients, which I think is really cool. Um, so you get this patient who comes in, who barely, like who can barely stomach anything, essentially if they're having diarrhea, like constantly, sorry for, you know, the graphic. We'll <laughs> <laughs> put a disclaimer in the beginning yeah, of the episode. A lot of, headaches, <laughs> a lot of my job talking about bowel movements. Um, but so they, they come in, they can't tolerate anything. They're getting nutrition primarily through an IV and then they get this stem cell transplant and they're, you know, starting to, you know, eventually get better and incorporating different kinds of foods back into their diet. And then also keeping in mind at the same time that they have to do this food safety. So like, that was really cool because I had to like, you know, give them kind of like almost a cancer diet education, but at the same time, give them the Crohn's diet education and the post-transplant uh, education is just a whole different thing. And I think it was really cool for me to see those things intertwine because it's very different patient. Like we don't really get those that often. Um, and then a different one I thought that was really cool is that I have this patient come in with some sort of like rare disorder. It's called PKU. It's basically like you have to give them this kind of diet that is very, very low in protein and very low in aspartame, which is like, you know, things that are found in like diet soda. Um, mm -hmm. You'd be surprised actually in so many different things. And protein is also such a core part of somebody's diet. So taking away those foods is, it's really difficult for a person, but you know, with, if they don't take those away, it could be really detrimental for them. So that's another way that like a dietitian could be helpful in the hospital. Like they don't, if someone doesn't know, you know, this just like, like what they're supposed to do with this disorder and like went, with their diet, especially, and maintaining their weight once they're taking away all these kinds of foods, you know, that's something that you have to really consider. So I thought that was really interesting to like work with that patient, try to educate them on that. Mm -hmm. yeah. So do most of these, it seems like most of these patients don't even come in to see a nutritionist. They're just in the hospital and then you sort of come in and educate them. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes they come in with, you know, a little bit more acute nutrition problems. Like if we get an elderly patient who comes in with failure to thrive, you know, they're only eating like we call the TN toast diet. Like they're basically not eating anything. And, um, we can also get patients who come in and they're like completely altered, like have dementia or just, you know, had some sort of problem that made them almost like for lack of better terms, like lose their mind. Um, and they come in and they can't eat by mouth anymore. So you have to figure out like how to feed them through a tube. So that's just like, you know, another thing that we have to consider. Um, but other than that, like, yeah, I think a lot of patients do come in obviously for medical problems and we're just there kind of as a, you know, an adding, an added discipline to just like help them thrive a little bit better. Right. Cause people don't always think that within health, they think, okay, I'm going to get a surgery or I'm going to take this medicine, but they forget that food is really the cornerstone of that. Getting the right nutrition is what allows you to heal or what allows you to feel good and healthy. Yeah. So I would definitely say like, you know, medicine is very, very important, um, but nutrition can also have a very big impact, um, especially if you're coming in, you know, for, for certain, like for certain things, like if you're coming in and you don't, and you have a surgery, right. And you're not eating anything after the surgery, you just don't want to eat anything. You're, you're not having any protein. Like, you know, your, your body needs those nutrients to actually help heal. So if you're not, 
if you're not like getting those things, where is it coming from? It ends up breaking down the rest of your body, you know, taking, you know, protein or glucose from other storage, storage, and then they, it'll end up like leading to malnutrition. Um, it might not happen so, you know, rapidly like that, but you know, sometimes that can happen. And I think, I think people tend to forget that like eating is very important, especially if it's like after surgery or if you're having any kind of underlying hypermetabolic illness, like you definitely want to eat as best you can. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier feeding to patients, which I think is so interesting because you're basically deciding everything that they're going to eat. They're not eating because it's pleasurable. They're eating specifically for the nutrients. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So feeding through a tube, you know, it's like probably one of my favorite things. It's, it's really fun to calculate stuff. I'm very into math. So there's <laughs> a lot of math involved. Um, you're essentially choosing the correct formula for the patient. And you're also assessing like their specific needs, you know, protein and calories um, based on their illnesses and their, you know, their hospital course. So you're taking that and you're deciding, you know, what rate the, the feed should go through the tube and like make and how much they should be getting and which formula they should receive. And also, again, like not just doing that, but also monitoring their tolerance after it starts. Um, so that's also really important. Sometimes you get a patient and you put them on this tube feed and they're all of a sudden, you know, vomiting. And that's something you really need to, you know, take a step back and say, maybe this isn't the right formula for them, or maybe the rate's too, you know, maybe it's too much volume for them. Like that's something that you want to consider. So there's always something that you can do to change it, which I think is really cool. Um, but at the same time, you're also maintaining, you know, their calories and their proteins to make sure that they don't kind of like waste away. Mm-hmm. But it's so cool, this problem solving aspect of you having to figure out the right amount that's going to sustain them, but also not cause them any pain or discomfort or make them throw it up. Yeah. So there's definitely like a lot of different things that go into it. Um, I think a lot of nutrition is about like solving a puzzle, which I think this is like, that's like my favorite thing about it. That's kind of why I like wanted to go into it. Um, but I think, I think, you know, once you figure it out and it's actually really cool, like you, you just kind of see like how you're actually making a direct impact on that patient. That's why I like it a lot more. <laughs> yeah. And, and you've already alluded to that a lot, which is, you know, you have all of these different moving parts whether it be the person's diagnosis or their access or whatever it is. And you have to figure out a way to make, to, like I said, solve the problem with so many different things going on, such different medical history and age and the calorie allowance and their weight and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just want to give a little story about the um, two feed patients, which I think is something that people don't really consider also. It's like sometimes, um, you know, yeah, someone might not be able to like chew or swallow properly. And that could be why they're getting through a tube, but also could be, um, you know, like I have a lot of, I work specifically in ENT in adults, which is like ear, nose, throat. Um, and if they come in and they have like, like a cancer of the throat, for example, and they have to get some, something like resected or taken out from that area and they're not able to swallow anymore because of that. Um, it's also a lot about, you know, like the patient comes in and they're like, you know, I can never eat this again. Like and it's a lot of like taking care of that aspect and trying to tell them like, it's okay. Like you're still getting all the nutrients you need. You're getting all the calories and the protein you need and the micronutrients that you need through the tube. So I think it's really cool that you're actually, you know, making sure, you know, like those people really don't, don't have the ability to eat again. And and sometimes it can lead to malnutrition if they're not like giving their tube, their feeding tubes properly. So like, I don't know, I think it's really cool. Yeah. Cause you, we think of food as just this enjoyment thing. And I think even some people have this fear of food and they, they're constantly thinking about it, but you forget that it's like, 
you know, malnutrition is a problem. And I see you getting so angry that I just said that people have a fear of food. So you could talk about that. (laughs) I just think, I don't know. I think a lot of people are just so afraid of like food. I think a lot of people are very centered on like body image. And I think that's what leads to the whole, you know, nutrition is weight loss. And that's what I think is like, it's kind of like a misconception almost because there's so much more to nutrition than just that. Um, and there's, it's just like, you, there are just like so many ways to like nourish your body. And I think if people thought of it that way, instead of just like, we're trying to be healthy and lose weight all the time. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a very different, different thing. Mm-hmm. No, it's an amazing lesson. And if you even think of the word nutrition, you know, it's like, it's giving your body, isn't that what it is? Like giving your body the nutrients and, and yeah, everything that it needs in order to move. And so it doesn't fail us. So we're not malnourished. And for yeah. some reason it took on this life of like, food is bad, fats are bad, uh, can't eat cake. Yeah, a lot of it's definitely like, I think social media influenced. Um, You know, you're growing up, you're like reading these magazines and they're telling you like all the new diets and this is what your body should look like. I think it's a lot of that. And I think that no one really is exposed to different different sides of nutrition, you know? Um, So I think that could be why everyone focuses on that. Um, But I definitely think that like, you know, if, if there's... Just a little tip, but like if there's someone that's or or something that's telling you, take away this entire food group, run away. Just don't do that. Don't do that. Drop mm-hmm. that entirely. Um, any diet that's like super restrictive or cuts some, an entire food group is not one that you want to be following. It can lead to a lot of like yo-yo dieting, which means like, you know, you're t- cutting this thing out. You're making yourself crave it so much more because you're not allowed to have it for so long. And then once you cave, you're going to end up having so much more than you would have had in the first place. And it could lead to, you know, even more weight gain. So I think it kind of, you know, it's a balance being like trying to keep an overall healthy diet. It's a lot about like making sure you get the right nutrients, making sure you have a full, a full balanced plate, making sure it's colorful. I like to tell people to vegify their meals, you know, just put veggies wherever you can. Um, and listen to your hunger cues. It's like the best thing I could tell someone to do. Great tips. Love all of them. So I want to go back because you mentioned a few skills that a dietitian would have to have. So for you specifically, you know, you like the working with numbers. I don't know if that's true of all um, dietitians. And then you also mentioned the problem solving. So what would you say are the skills that a dietitian must have in order to really be successful in the field? So I think there's a lot of different things that you you probably do need, but the things that are like off the top of my head, attention to detail, you definitely need that. I think it's important to make sure you're, you know, again, like gathering every single aspect of the patient and just trying to make sure that you're not missing something super important. Like this one time I had a patient and I just didn't realize they had um, an ostomy bag, which is like, basically they have to that's where their poop comes out of essentially. And like, not, not regularly. Again, we went way too long without talking about poop. We had to bring <laughs> no, it up again. It's my whole, whole <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like very desensitized to it, but um, yeah. So I, I, I just didn't, I missed that part that they had this ostomy bag and I just went in and I was like, yeah, like, are you having any problems with constipation or diarrhea? Like when was the last time you had a bowel movement? And he was like, I have an ostomy bag. And like, as if like, I was a total idiot, like I should have known and I really should have. So that's like, something I really should have paid attention to. It's just like attention to detail. And then, you know, going back, I think it's again, patient-centered care, making sure you're listening to the patient very, very, you know, intently 
listening skills are super important. Um, like it's not fun. Imagine you're a patient, like you're sitting there and you say something and then you're just like, what'd you say? Like, Oh, I forgot. It's not something enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, so making sure you're taking in whatever they say. And a lot of, which by the way is very hard because like you said, you're dealing with, you know, five to 20 minute quick, quick, quick going from one patient to the next to the next. And like to really listen and be actively there is not easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, I, I think it's like, Another thing is being very focused in a fast paced environment. I think that's something that you need to consider as well. Like it's, especially like in the hospital I work at, I think it's just very like, you know, I don't know how to like say that, but um, it's just like, everyone's always like, this is what we're doing. This is how it's going to happen. We, we have to like know what we're doing. And sometimes obviously you can take a step back and like try to figure something out, but you should really like know how to handle. And it comes with, it comes with time. Um, how you get to learn how to do that. Just like also people skills. You want to just make sure you're being, you know, personable, mm-hmm. you know, you're making, you have to kind of remember like they're always in the worst spot than you are. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And they're looking at you as the expert and they want somebody warm and that's going to be patient with them and educate them. Yeah. A lot of people don't know anything about nutrition. We take it for granted that we even know about vegetables, that we know that soda has a lot of sugar in it. And these are things that not everybody it has access to or has been taught. Yeah, that's, that's definitely very true. I I find that like, sometimes, you know, you're telling somebody to, you know, minimize their carb intake because they have diabetes and you don't want their sugar to go up too high. But then they're like, and you're like, they're like, Oh yeah, that's great. Fine. Perfect. And they're like, do you know what a carb is? And they're like, no. So it's like, you know, that's, it's also something you need to really like get down to the straight details and try to figure out how to help them and see if they're, if they, you kind of like also have to gauge, like, are they, are they aware of their disease? Are, are they like doing okay with it? Are they not doing okay with it? Do they really need like in-depth education or like, can you kind of like gloss over it a little bit? So. Yeah. I fact didn't know that fruits were a carb until a few years ago. <laughs> I don't know why nutrition is not mandatory in schools. Yeah. Like I should learn basic things about my body. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what we're here for. If you ever have questions, we can always help yeah. out with that. <laughs> I always have questions by the way, but on that note, <laughs> Um, what is the trajectory in terms of schooling to become a dietitian? So for schooling, you basically, it depends what undergrad you go to. Um, some programs have this thing called a didactic program in dietetics, um, which is what you can do. It's basically almost like a pre-med program minus physics. So it's a lot of science, but, um, you do that program, um, you get your bachelor's and then, so, other people who don't who aren't able to do the the didactic program in dietetics during undergrad can do that as like a post back almost, um, and some people do that and get their masters at the same time. So, you would need the bachelor's with that program, and then the masters is going to be required starting twenty twenty four, and then um, there's this thing called the dietetic internship, which is basically supervised practice. So you're basically like in school doing homework, learning stuff, but you're not really in school. You're the learning part of everything happens on the job. So you're working with other dietitians who've been, you know, working at the, at the, wherever you are, um, learning from them, seeing patients with them and then seeing patients on your own. And then also, you know, going back and learning about all these different diseases and all these different, um, aspects that you need to consider. Um, so it's about like, I think it ranges from about 1200 hours of supervised practice. to like maybe a thousand to 1200 hours. And then after that, let me make sure I got this first before I even move on to that. Okay. So it's basically sort of like pre-med, like you have these requirements that you have to take in order to get into 
the master's slash dietetic internship. So while you're in college, you have to take specific science classes and nutrition classes. Yeah. So even if they don't have that didactic program, um, yeah. like program, you could still just take the courses that you need in any college. Um, yeah. So it's not like you can, you can major in psych and then like leave college and say like, I don't want to do that. And then take those science classes some other way and like, you know, get your didactic program done. Those have specific mm-hmm. requirements. And then like, once you're able to do that, you're able to um, apply to the dietetic internship. Um, right. And then, which is like also pretty um, cutthroat, I would say. <laughs> it's not a fun experience, but it's good. Um, and then after that, you, you, you have to take this, you know, national exam that's, you know, certifies you. So, right. And then you also added that right now you don't have to get your master's, but starting 2024, you're also going to have to get your master's in order to be a dietitian. Yes. If you're starting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so so now you're grandfathered in essentially. Right. Got that. Um, you have any quick tips for people who are applying to their dietetic internship? Cause I, I've heard it's really, really cut through like yeah. very few people per school. It's tough. Yeah. Mine was 12 people. Um, some are fewer, some are a little bit more depending on the program. Um, but it doesn't really go over 20, I would say. And there aren't that many programs in the country and depending on, you know, what you want to do location wise, it's important. Um, the programs are all different. So you have to really like research each program and like know what they offer and know what you want to go into. Some offer like a broad range of different, different, you know, nutrition, um, topics, Others, they, they're just like really focused on one thing. So, you know, mine was very clinical based, but they also gave you community rotations and they gave you rotations in food service, which is, you know, the, the two other really big important things within nutrition. Um, and other programs are very much like public health based, community based. You don't really get much time in a hospital. Um, so it really depends on what you want to do. I really think that the biggest tip would just be like research everything, like know what you want and go for what you want and apply to as many as you can. Mm-hmm. So what like, made you choose clinical over community and, you know, food services? I really, I'm, I'm, I'm a total nerd. <laughs> That's really the answer. I like the science behind everything. I took anatomy in college, which is like one of the requirements and I loved it. So I wanted to be like as close to the medical field as I could um, without being a doctor. So I, I really enjoyed like doing the clinical nutrition. And then in my internship, I really kind of just fell in love with it. I thought it was really exciting all the time. And I think like just learning about the different things, it kind of like keeps me, keeps me on my toes. And then specifically when I was like in my internship, I had a NICU concentration. So like I was with like, I basically shadowed a dietitian who covers the neonatal ICU. And that like I fell in love with because it was kind of like something towards my interests. I, I just like wanted to do it. And it's very cool that you could do nutrition for that also. You know, it's not just like the classic weight loss. And I just find that sometimes, you know, maybe I just kind of steer clear from the community nutrition and weight loss aspect of things because I just don't find it as as exciting. I think sometimes like people can get lost in the weight loss. You know, they're trying too hard for that. And I think, I think there's just so much more to it. And I you know, maybe I'll go there one day, just not right now. <laughs> it's also, like you said, when you were working in the hospital, you're really educating people and influencing their lives. I, I'm not going to say that weight loss and, and feeling good about your body isn't 
life-changing in its own way. And it's nice to have somebody there as a support, but this is really like, it's matters of like life and death or like real pain or malnutrition. Like it's, it just seems like it's so much bigger. And I feel your passion when you speak about that because you know, you're making such an impact. Yeah. And I think it's really cool because sometimes, sometimes you really get those patients who come in and they're like, I really want to know what I can do to change this. And, and it's, it's really kind of rewarding knowing that you can help them in that way. And like, they'll, they'll go home and like, you know, let's say they come back to the hospital for another thing. And like, you just see that they're better with this one aspect that you might've helped them with, or like, they're more aware of the foods that they should be, you know, avoiding or, or eating more of. So I think that's really cool. Like you really get those patients who are very appreciative of that, which I think is really great. Mm -hmm. So it seems like there are a lot of things that you really love about this field. Is there anything that you'd want to warn about that maybe isn't so great? Definitely. Um, especially if you're a clinical dietitian, I think it's really hard to separate yourself from patients. You know, sometimes you get to know them very well, um, especially if they're in the hospital for a long time and, you know, sometimes they don't have the best outcome. And I think, um, that's just like the sad part of it, but you know, there's always, there's always like, once you get used to separating yourself and like, also like understanding that there's so much more that you can do for other people, like it, it kind of gets okay. Mm-hmm. That's definitely hard. Yeah. How's the work-life balance working in a hospital? Honestly, like I don't, I don't have that much like problem with that. I think it's really supposed to be like a, like an eight hour day, like a nine to five. Um, so it really works well for me in that way. I think, yeah, I don't know. Right. Just cause sometimes I think of hospital and I guess you think of like nurses or doctors and they could be working late night shifts, but for dietitians, it's not like that. Yeah. I think for, for dietitians, it's like, we, we have our day, like definitely there are days where I'm there like much longer, 12 hour days, but like, it's, it's also, there are days where I'm there for like six hours. <laughs> so it's, it's fine. It's fine. It definitely balances out. And I think, I think it's something that you can definitely do and like have a life outside of work too. It's not like you're taking work home with you all the time or anything like that, at least for me. Mm-hmm. So what are your plans for the future in terms of being a dietitian? So I'm doing a lot right now with, with clinical nutrition. I think it's just a little, a little small thing. So I, I talked about, you know, doing ENT with adults. And I also work in like a little bit of general medicine with adults. I also work in pediatric oncology. So like kids with cancer. Um, and I am training to do, to work in a neonatal ICU full time. That's my current goal. I really want to work with babies and, you know, the medical team, obviously, because they don't get any education. Um, but it's basically not, not the medical team, but the babies don't get education, but <laughs> I just have to clarify that. Um, yeah. So that's like my main goal right now. I really want to do that. So I hopefully will be starting that in a month or so. And then after that, depending on where my life takes me, I might want to open up a practice probably related to like maternal and neonatal nutrition or fetal nutrition or pediatric nutrition. I'm not sure yet. Yeah. So the reason why you would need to do neonatal nutrition is what? It's like what, like what it does. Like why would somebody need neonatal nutrition? nutrition So so basically like, let's say there's a baby that comes in and they're premature. Um, There's just like, you have to really maintain their growth because it's such a crucial time in their life and it really can affect them so much down the line. So um, we make sure that like, we're, we're like looking at their growth and monitoring it very carefully and making sure that we're feeding them the correct formula or you know, breast milk or you know, whatever it is that they need. Um, 
whether it has to be through a tube or if they're feeding by mouth or if they have trouble feeding by mouth or if they need to get fed through IV, which is a lot of the time that we need to be doing. So it's so I think it's like, you know, IV feeding and, and tube feeding and you're really just directly impacting their growth, specifically monitoring that. So I think that's why they need it. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's That makes a lot of sense that you would love that because it's so similar to the type of stuff you loved with the feeding tube, which is like the problem solving, the calculations, the figuring out what they need, the monitoring afterwards. Yeah. So I, I think, I think it's like, that's what my favorite part about it is that you really see the direct impact like more so than anywhere else in, in nutrition. I think that's what's the coolest thing. Like you're really making this like a real big impact in the patient. You actually see them grow, which is so cool. Cause you know that that's what you're doing. Like you're making mm-hmm. sure that their feeds are fortified. You're making sure that they're getting enough protein. You're making sure that they're getting enough calories and for their specific growth. And it changes every single day. So that's something that's also really important. You're just always doing the math every single day with the team. And it's a lot of like coordination of care, which I think is really important too. Mm-hmm. So we spoke a lot about what the job entails. Let's talk salary a little bit. So first salary, um, it really ranges depending on what kind of nutrition you do. A lot of people, you know, say that there's a lot more money in private practice, which there definitely could be. Um, for a clinical dietitian, I think, especially in New York, it, it's, it's different. Um, I think it ranges from about, like, I would say around 59,000 to like, this is like off the top of my head, like maybe 80. So that's mm-hmm. a general basis salary. I think like, you know, there is room for growth as a dietitian in a, in a hospital. You can also become like a clinical nutrition manager, which is like kind of higher up there um, or a director. So, you know, you, you definitely could make a lot more if you wanted to, if you wanted to go that route, but a lot of that like turns into management. So it depends on what you want to do with that. So you're saying it's less working with the patients and more working to manage other dietitians. Yeah. If you're, if you're kind of like growing that far out, um, you know, past that, but there are also other ways, like, you know, for me at least like soon I'm going to be a senior dietitian. So I'll, you know, I'll have a raise there and then it keeps going up and up as long depending on how long you stay at the hospital. And that's also dependent on which hospital you work at. You actually mentioned what I was going to ask, which is like the growth potential. So other than working in the hospital, is the growth only to do private practice? Um, I think there are so many ways that you could be a dietitian in general. So I think that there's like, and I don't, I, because I'm not like so involved in those other ways, like I'm not necessarily sure about the salary really. So um, there definitely is room for growth. I do think in private practice, you could be, you can get really big. I also think that, you know, it depends what you put into it. I think that you can work for somebody else and also do really well. I think you can work at a hospital for a few years and do really well there. Um, you can also work in a supermarket as a dietitian. You could work in a school as a dietitian. Um, you know, you could work, uh, you can work with, you know, WIC services as a dietitian. Um, you could work an outpatient as a dietitian, which also can, you know, give more leeway to your salary. So there are really so many different ways that you can, you know, get the salary that you need if that's what you want to do. So how do you recommend that if people figure out where in the nutrition field they fit? Cause it seems like there's so many things that you could be doing. Yeah. Um, can I just backtrack for a quick sec? I also just wanted to say like for nutrition, like it's not necessarily about like growth linearly. I think it's a lot about like, you know, the horizontal growth. Like you want to, you can go from one place to another and like always choose something different and doesn't have, you know, just because you do one thing doesn't mean you have to stay there for the rest of your life. Um, which I think goes into the next question. There are so many different things that are out there. I think 
a whole big part of it is networking and, you know, doing that research, knowing what's out there, really talking to like your supervisors when you're in school, um, finding out different people who are out there who are in the field, um, seeing what they do, seeing if they enjoy it, see what they what they do in comparison to others and see what you would like more. Um, and really kind of like follow your heart with your interests. Like for me, I was really into, you know, learning about pregnancy and, and, you know, babies. I thought was really cool. I, I took a few classes in college about that, um, especially nutrition related classes. I, I did the internship and I focused on that specific thing. So like that was my trajectory and like, that's what I wanted to do, but there's so much more out there. And I think a, a lot of it also is just, you know, being open-minded, like, some people, you know, I had co-interns in my internship who wanted to do one thing their whole life. And then they got to the internship and they were like, I don't want to do this at all. And they chose a completely different track. So I think it's like something that's really interesting that you can always, you can always find something new that you want to do. And it's okay. As long as you're like, you know, doing the research on it and it's okay to also like change your goal midway if you want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. So what advice would you give to somebody who's thinking of entering this field? Which by the way, you just gave great advice, but <laughs> that would be, that would be a big thing of it. I think, I think it's just like really getting to know your stuff, like getting to know what's out there. Networking is a really big thing that I did a lot of. Um, there are so many ways that you can, you can join like different nutrition groups. There's, you can join the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics as a student. Um, that link I could give you. <laughs> um, basically, you know, that gives you a lot of different resources um, it's kind of like a whole world of different things out there. There's always webinars that if you want to listen to, you can. Um, yeah. So I think it's just like a lot about, you know, really fully like immersing yourself in what this is and like understanding what it is. And like, if you know, if you know that there's a dietitian out there who works out patient, like call them up, ask them how they're like, what they do and how they got there and ask them all the questions you want. Like most of the time they're very able like they're very willing to help you um which is like really nice I had a lot of you know mentors I guess um but it's something that like I took upon myself to really call other people and like figure out what they do and see what I really wanted to do and it kind of like helped me pave the way and like I didn't know that there were there were clinical dietitians when I first applied to nutrition in college I had no idea what that even was I thought it was all weight loss you know and now it's like a whole different like I don't even know how I ended up here you know it's like a whole different world so I think I think just like being open to everything is the best thing you could do. And just networking is really, really important. Yeah. And for our listeners, this is a great first step. So you're getting that knowledge through listening to Ronnie's story and then taking it from there to do your own research and network out to different people in the field, I think is great advice. Yeah. Can you end us off with a cool nutrition tip that maybe people don't know? You gave us a good one earlier. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that was a really good one. Like definitely... Don't, don't do any restrictive diets. They're not, they're not helpful for anybody. Um, if you need help, call a dietitian. There are plenty that are very, you know, specialized in specific diseases or specialized in specific, you know, problems that you're having. So it's, it's, there's definitely a huge range. And I think you should do the research before you see a dietitian. Um, another tip that I'm just going to plug in there, make sure you're seeing a dietitian who is certified, um, you don't want to see someone who's just like a nutritionist just because um, you just want to make sure that they're, you know, having the right schooling behind everything. Sometimes anyone can really be a nutritionist. So just to keep in mind, like every dietitian is a nutritionist, but not every nutritionist is a dietitian. Right. Cause you, you go to school, you take tons of science classes, you do tons of hours of dietetic internship, and then some people can just, you know, get certified. 
hide online and call themselves a nutritionist. It's a big yeah. Thing. I just think you just want to make sure you're getting the correct information based on like you know science and um, you know research. Sometimes you know there are some there are plenty of nutritionists out there who are doing great and like know their stuff, but you just you just don't know what their specific schooling was. So like you wouldn't like just think about it. like you wouldn't want to go to a doctor who had like their basic two years. Let's say they had two years of medical school and like they just kind of finished you know, just stop mm-hmm. and they were a doctor. Like they're not really a doctor, you know? So nothing that happens, but <laughs> um, right. it's just like to consider, you know, you want to make sure that you're getting the person who's certified to give you that information. For sure. Another thing that I, I always find so interesting, can you tell us like a food and like the main nutrient that it has in it and what that does for you, for your body? Ooh, that's like very, <laughs> um, that, um, you didn't know you were getting a quiz when you came on. No, I did you? not. <laughs> um, I think, you know what? I'll take this to talk about carbs because everybody hates on carbs all the time. Um, your body needs carbs to function. Your brain only uses glucose. Like you need to, you need to really get that in your body. Um, it doesn't do so much harm to you as like much as you think it would. And without it entirely, your body won't function properly. <laughs> There's like not that much... Um, research that you know helps that like supports no carbs at all like if there if there is it's for pediatric epilepsy so if you're not a child that has epilepsy eat your carbs it's okay they're not going to kill you and no carbs are brain food that's good to know yeah for sure you need it all right <laughs> well ronnie thank you so much for coming on and telling us all about what a dietetic intern well no dietitian now what yeah. a dietitian does <laughs> and giving us awesome tips on nutrition and how to apply and what to do throughout the whole process. It was so informative. So tell our listeners how they can find you if they have any questions. Um, You can definitely email me or call me or text me. I'm very accessible. Um, My email is my last name dot my first name at gmail.com. So it's S-A-A-D dot R-O-N-E-E at gmail.com. And then um, my phone number is 718 Four eight three two one six nine. Perfect. And we'll put all this in the show notes for you guys. And thank you again so much for coming on, Ronnie. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you guys for joining this episode of What the Heck Do You Do? We really hope you enjoyed and that you will rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. But more importantly, if you have a job or career that people just don't understand, please email us at whattheheckdoyoudo at gmail.com with your job title and a quick description of what the heck you do. Until next time.